welcome. I'm glad everybody's here with us today in person as well as everybody online. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. Um, if it's your first time with us uh, here in person or online, just welcome, a great welcome to you. I'm glad that you've chosen to be with us today on this, this I guess, cold, wet winter's day here. Um, is there everybody enjoying that the snow is gone? Anybody? Yeah. Who, who wants more of it? Anybody want more of it? Yeah. You want to work your back muscles, dig in that kind of stuff. We'll see what the rest of winter holds. Groundhog Day is Friday, the most reliable weather forecaster there is. Not, right? Okay. So anyway, um, so um, we're in this series um, we've been talking about the last couple weeks on um, signs called Give Me a Sign, Signs from God. Um, and and um, it, I have to say, it's been really cool because um, I've had lots of great conversations, whether with like the little coffee thing we did a couple weeks ago or just in other meetings and, and um, gatherings about people that have been sharing the many ways that they've seen um, God give signs. Many of you have shared different stories, big things, little things, little nudges, little things like, hmm, that's interesting, right? Like the burning bush. I'm going to walk a little bit closer, curiously. Um, and that's been really, really cool. And um, the first week, I shared a little bit about a, a sign that happened right before um, Christmas when I was in the dollar store, of course, looking for my popcorn. And lo and behold, there was a scripture. Well, would you believe it? Last week on pork rinds, believe it or not. Here, show that picture. Another scripture sign we have from Psalm 100, uh, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Signs from God and snack foods. You believe it. God can speak through anything. It's amazing. Um, but, but the first week, we, we started off by talking about how God really does care about our lives. God cares about our lives and our, the direction of our lives, and so he gives us signs points us in direction of things we should do, places we should go, uh, ways to participate in his kingdom here and now in the work that he's doing right in front of us. And, um, and so last week, we, we talked about the importance, though, of paying attention. How sometimes when we read scripture, we see all these amazing things and ways God was speaking and working. And we're like, well, that don't happen anymore. Well, I think the problem really is more that we're not paying attention to the things that God is doing. And we talked a little bit about how to pay better attention to what the signs that God is giving. Um, so today, though, we're going to move um, to the third part of the series. And a third question um, I want to pose to kind of wrap our time to, today. And that is, how can you tell if a sign is from God? How can you tell if a sign is from God? Or if it's from something else or somebody else or just the way things are? I think it's a really, really good question. Um, and here's why, because I think while we believe in signs, um, not everything around us is a sign from God, truthfully. Not everything. Um, we don't see signs in a vacuum, um, but rather we bring with us our stories, our wants, our desires, um, that sometimes it's easy for us to read into things around us to tell us what we want them to say. Um, and so we have to be aware of that. It's important to learn to identify what is of God and what is not. And it might not necessarily be a bad thing, but it just might not be from God. Um, and, and it's interesting because this struggle is really not a new thing. 
It's not a new thing. It goes all the way back to the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus, uh, 2,000 years ago. In the first week, we read a passage where Jesus met with his disciples around that, that last supper. He gathered with them before he went to the cross. Uh, and he was doing lots of teaching, kind of wrapping things up um, for them, even though they didn't fully understand. And he promised his disciples that he would continue to be with them even after death, and even after he would eventually leave them after his resurrection, after he would come back and he would ascend to heaven. Uh, and so I'm going to read this scripture once again. It comes from John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13. And this is Jesus speaking. Um, it's also printed in your, in your sermon notes too. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so this is the characterization of the Holy Spirit, God with us, God's presence with us, the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us. But the thing is, the problem is this. You can imagine that as the first century Christians are hearing these stories of Jesus and they're sharing them, um, you can imagine that, that taking that to heart, Jesus' presence with us through the Holy Spirit, that the first generation of Christians, it would have become a very convenient excuse to say about just about anything, God led me to do this. And maybe you've done that before, or you've had someone do that before. God led me to do this. It can be the ultimate, really, the ultimate trump card when people call out your behavior and your decisions. That God led me to do this. God told me to do this. Like, what do you say to that, right? <laughs> it's a really, really hard thing. So, and so, John, who was the writer of that gospel that that scripture came from, John later to the early church, he has to come back and kind of correct some of this. That there were people going around and saying, well, God told me to do this. I can't refute it. Okay, well, go ahead and do it. So John comes back later to the early church, and he, he tells Christ followers that not everything is of the Spirit. Not everything is of the Spirit. Not every nudge, not every feeling, not every sign, not every person who says that they are. And so he says basically in this letter that he writes, that we call First John, but he says basically, you can't believe everything. You can't trust anything. So in that follow-up letter, he writes this. I want us to read this together. It'll be on the screen from First John chapter 4, verse 1. So let's read this together. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is really interesting. He's pointing out that there are different spirits, meaning there are different directors. And so we learn from what he says that we need to test those things. We need to test the signs, the feelings, the choices, even the voices that we're presented with. That's wisdom. And so we need to figure out if something is really Holy Spirit directed. Um, and, and so, in practically speaking, we really need a, like a process to kind of test those things, to see if something is inspired by God, especially like if you're in the middle of a big decision you're making, you're figuring a direct in, direction. Uh, and so today I want to talk about that. It's just a very practical that it, process to help us make a decision that's led by God. And once again, this is not a recipe. This is not foolproof. This isn't come back later and say, Pastor Chris, well, you said whatever. Like, okay, th these are some ideas and guidelines to help us in what's called discernment. 
discernment of the Holy Spirit. And actually, it's really cool. If you go back to the sayings of the ancient rabbis, so Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher of his time. There were other rabbis that have taught through the centuries. Um, there's, there's some writings of ancient rabbis that's, that's been collected together. It's called the Mishnah. It's kind of like a complement to some of the Hebrew scriptures. And there, among the sayings of the ancient rabbis, there was one that was very, very popular. You imagine each rabbi had students called disciples that they would gather with and teach. And there was a really popular saying for a rabbi to speak to his disciples. And he would say something like this. He would use this imagery. He would say, there are four types among those who sit before the sages. The sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. Number one, the sponge absorbs all. Number two, the funnel takes in at one end and lets it out the other. Number three, the strainer rejects the wine and retains the sediment. But number four, the sieve rejects the coarse flour and retains the fine flour. So, so this would be presented to people that would be following these rabbis. And you can understand, like, as you're learning, as you're growing, you can kind of be any one of these four, act in ways. And I mean, say even when, like, whether we're making a decision or we're trying to read some new information, that, that very easily we can absorb everything. We can take it in one end and let it out the other and we forget it tomorrow. We can reject the good things and hold on to the bad. Or we can be like the sieve and we can retain the good things while sifting out the things that we need to let go. And so the, the motto of this is really pointing to the idea to be like a sieve. To be like a sieve in, in what we receive from the world around us, what we're determining to be God's will. Functioning really as a filter. That you may receive some things that you got to filter out and let go, but there may be some good things to hold on to, to retain what's good. And it's not everything, but it's also not nothing. So when you think of something in front of you, when, you when, you're process, when there's a process to think through, when it's not just how you feel, it's, it's really this idea of putting things, putting your situation, putting signs that you maybe are receiving through this sieve. And I the kind of four, there's four questions we're going to look at to run a decision through them. Um, and so we're, uh, we'll show you the entirety of it. It's in your notes, by the way, um, if you're following along and want to um, take these down. But basically, like, some guidelines uh, um, and ways to kind of filter through things that might, may be in line with God. Um, but I want to start, though, I want you to just bring to mind maybe a decision that you're facing right now. And, and as we're kind of going through these things, to kind of filter, to be that sieve and filter these questions through that. Um, and if there's no decision you're facing right now, that's totally okay. But maybe imagine something from the past. Or imagine, project something maybe in the future, in a year, two years, something else that maybe you, your family, something like that might be facing. Um, so when we have a decision in front of us, I, I want you to ask four questions to put through the sieve here. First, what does Scripture say? That's the first and foremost thing. It sounds like something a pastor would say, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, but what does scripture say? But, and it's interesting because, ironically, so often we, we like, are praying to God, like asking God, what do, this is what we want. And we never really open a book of what God has already said. Things in certain situations that maybe other people have faced in the past. And it might sound obvious, but what God thinks won't go against scripture. Um, but, but I also have to say this, though, is that there are times that scripture speaks directly about things. 
you know, thinking of, say you're thinking of stealing. That's the decision in front of you. You want to take something from somebody else. You want to go to the store, whatever, you know. Scripture's very clear that that's probably not something of God if you're feeling that, that sense. Or say that you're married and there's a new coworker and you're thinking of going on a date with that coworker. It's probably not of God. <laughs> like, uh, so, or you see that you're walking by and there's a person laying on the street and they're unconscious there. Like, it's probably not of God to say, oh, I should just keep going and let them go there. Like, like, those are things that are kind of clear that Scripture points out to. You know, having compassion on people, you know, respecting marriage, um, not stealing from your brother or sister. But it's important, though, to look at the New Testament for those guidelines of holy living. But most of the time, though, a lot of the time, when you're looking at your particular situation, especially here in 21st century, um, Scripture may not be so clear to tell you exactly what you need to do. And that's why you need to look at the heart of the matter. You need to look at what is behind, what, what is God's character, what is God's intention for us. Um, in the early church, um, Timothy had these words to say about Scripture, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. And, and Scripture needs to do those things in us. That if you've never been challenged, if you've never been corrected, or if you've never been rebuked, or, or you've never been encouraged, that, that Scripture needs to be able to do all those things for us. That's what Scripture does. It reminds us of what God values, but also who we are called to be. It's kind of like a good mentor, I don't know if anybody's had a good mentor, whether in, in the workplace or maybe just starting out or you have one right now. A good mentor is not someone that's going to tell you this is what you need to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Instead, a good mentor reminds you what's important and helps to draw out of you the conclusions that you need to make. So in, instead, the Bible, the Bible should point to us in our hearts to say, you know, that decision you're making, like, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not who God is calling you to be. That the Bible works by telling us God's heart, but also what we need to be careful of in our lives. The things that can head us down paths of destruction. It tells us God's larger hopes and dreams for the world. God's kingdom here and now. And the righteous processes of us being involved in that. And so um, just a practical example of, of kind of what, the, what this is, looking at this question. So first, so maybe your decision like, there is about getting a new car, like a brand new car. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about getting a new car. I don't know. If you has anybody found one yet? Please, like, talk to me if you do. Like, so say you're facing getting a new car, and you, it's not because you need a new car, you have a car, you just got it two years ago, and you have a car, and you're like, I want to get the latest and greatest, like the 2024 or whatever this is. And, and there's nothing in Scripture. You look in Scripture, and you're like, okay, there's nothing about a car. I guess it's good to go. Well, I think pause there and say, well, well, kind of look at, zoom out. Look at the bigger story. So, so a car is what? It's a possession. It's a possession. It's something maybe you're, you're spending, well, you are spending money on. And, and so look at what, what the scriptures say about possessions. And you may read some passages. Jesus has a lot to say about possessions. 
a lot to the point is he's telling like leave everything behind guys and come follow me what like that's crazy um, and so you may look at those things and you may discover like there is a difference between needs and wants. Also, like, hey, maybe getting this new car would impede my ability to be generous with other people. And the Bible talks a lot about generosity, about helping those who are, are in need. Um, and so uh, just taking that all together, like while the Bible may not say anything about your new car, it can inform you about the decision to go. And it's really about the heart of the matter. And so you may come to the conclusion, once again, I'm just kind of running this through the sieve right now, is to say, hey, you know what? It'll impede these good things that maybe God wants to do through me. Maybe now is not the time for me to get the new car. So, so that's, I think, more often how the Bible works and helps us. It shapes our attitudes and gives us God's attitude and God's character and points us in that direction. And not just because something is not explicitly mentioned, that we have to look at the bigger story, what God is doing through all of Scripture. Um, so that's the first question. What does Scripture say? But then second question that's part of the sieve is what happens when you pray? What happens when you pray? And once again, it seems very cliche. Another thing a pastor would say, you're probably saying it in your mind, but, but the thing is when people say, like, I'll pray about it, right, most of the time, what is that? It's an excuse, right? I'll pray about it. It's just like, get off my back here. Put it to later. Um, but prayer is a big thing that we need to be able to pray about big decisions, about small things. And see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Philippian church. He, he encourages them to pray about everything. And he says this in Philippians 4, some of my favorite verses here. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I think, I think what he says here is true. That when we're trying to make a, a God-led decision, we really need a time in prayer. A time that we can go to God and what is prayer? Prayer is not memorizing all these fancy words and things. Prayer is just talking to God. You know, we, we have a little group that's, that's been gathering here doing some discipleship stuff. And it's just talking about, you could just say like, hey God, hey, this is on my mind. I, like, I love you. I want your direction. Like, can you please speak to me? Uh, help me with this. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's your will. You know, and if we, if we make, if we really want to hear God speak, then we need to make room and to give him time to do that. And, and, and sometimes we think, though, that prayer is like magic, right? It's like a pray God, right? I'm praying here, and then it's like tomorrow, boom, like answer should appear, right? And then you're like, boom, like pray, 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 and then no answer. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Well, that's usually not how prayer works. Prayer usually begins with some tension that we feel, that, that this way or that, and you go to God with that tension to say, I'm really unsure about this and putting this decision before you. It's not when we've already decided what we have want to do, but instead laying it before God and then sitting it with it for a while. Sitting, saying, hey, God, I need your help. And taking that and like almost like physically laying it before God and letting it go and sit with God. You know, the bigger the decision, the longer to take to pray. But instead of waiting for, okay, immediate answer, you know, prayer, answer, prayer, answer, instead, allowing it to just percolate, to sit, allowing God to work in your heart. You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of like, for me, what happens with a snow globe. 
We all know what a snow globe is, right? Everybody know what a snow globe is. The thing you probably put away in your attic until next Christmas, right? But, but you know, you have the snow globe, and, and whatever's inside the snow globe, there's sometimes like kids have like little characters. There's a SpongeBob snow globe. I was going to put that picture on the screen. But, but the snow globe, you know, you shake it up, and what happens? Right? The snow. The snow happens, and it's all around. It looks like a blizzard, right? And you allow it to sit, and what happens then? settles. It settles. I think prayer is a lot more like that. Is that, that we stir up, that things are stirred up in us. We seat it before God and we sit back and we allow the dust, we allow the snow to settle. Allow the peace to arrive. Allow a sense of settledness in one direction or another. But there's a warning here though too, that we aren't, it's not a good idea to move forward when the globe is snowy. When you can't see right, when the snow is swirling around, that's not a good time to make a decision. It's to allow it to settle. To settle. To settle is at the end of the settling, after you've been praying, is there peace? Do you receive that sense of peace? It's just like on, you wake up on a, a morning after it's snowed and there's just peace. You, know, you looked outside it last week, just peace. Like the traffic's not there, the birds are just quiet, it's just peace. Or on the flip side, is there still a sense of, of something going on? Is there still a sense of discomfort? Is there still a sense of unsettledness? Then pay attention to that. Pay attention. What happens when you pray? What, God, what is God telling you? Do you allow that to settle? Because most often that's how God speaks. You know, these, these, these are two, like, in, internal and they're personal. And, and though, though, though it's important, though, like, to seek these things, I think it's also important to pay attention. We're going to look at two other questions. To pay attention as part of the sieve. To pay attention to ex, some external things, right? Scripture, that's more of a process. Like, we're reading or doing that ourselves. Praying, that's part of us, too. We're allowing the, the snow to settle and to receive that peace or that discomfort. But the last two things, though, is the question, though, moving on to number three, about what do trusted people say? So now we're looking outside ourselves. And, and what do trusted people say? It's it said that an enemy of a wise decision is isolation. Enemy of a wise decision is isolation. When we make decisions in a vacuum, it sets us up for a bad choice. And the Bible talks about this. There's lots of Proverbs about this. Um, these are just two from Proverbs 11. For a lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And then there's Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, my, my buddy, well, he's not actually my buddy, but C.S. Lewis, author, um, he says, the, best, the next best thing is to be wise once, let me restart over, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. I think it's true that we can make better decisions by listening to trusted people. Um, you know, that, that some of us, we, we get to wacky decisions when we're in a vacuum. That's how cults start, by the way, Right? Somebody's by themselves and they receive something and then they go on and they try to influence other people. That there's an inclination for self-deception self that's really strong when we're alone. But here's what I want to suggest. That we have to ask other people what they think. But the point is, it needs to be the right people. It can't just be anyone. 
You know, what we tend to do a lot of times, I do this, is that I tend to ask people I know that will give me the answer that I want. <laughs> Somebody that's going to confirm exactly what I believe and what I should do, and I go to them. But when you think about it, right, it's not a good idea to ask a drinking buddy if you should stop drinking alcohol. It's not a good idea to ask your coworker who is also unhappy at your job if you should quit. You know, we do this. Or even uh, say, say that you have a spouse who also hates your neighbor who has the barking loud dog. You shouldn't be asking them about what you should do about the barking loud dog. Like, uh, or, or you shouldn't ask somebody that you know, spends and spends a lot of money about what model car you should buy. Like, it's about asking the right people. We need a particular kind of counsel. And that counsel is basically this, someone who loves you and someone who loves God. Someone who loves you and someone who loves God. Someone who has your, your best interest in mind, who's not afraid to be gut honest with you and to tell you absolutely not. Or, hey, that's not what I would do. Like, to have people in your life that you can know and trust, and if you've never received that from someone, then you need to pay attention to that. Because that's, that's valuable. And truthfully, there are sometimes people in our lives that are just too close to your decision to ask them about your decision. You know, just maybe you're thinking of moving. You should not ask your mom whether you should move away from her or not. <laughs> What's she going to say? Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a troubled relationship or something. But, but if you have a good relationship, then mom, mom is going to be like, don't leave me, right? Don't leave me, right? It's, it's one of those things. Or anybody else that's like highly invested in the outcome. That you need someone that has a bit of distance. You need someone that's seeking God as well. Um, I have a gal that um, is a pastor at another local church. And she, uh, we talked at a meeting that we were at, and she asked me to, to mentor her in ministry. And part of the reason was, she's like, you're not a part of my church. You know, I can talk to you about things. And it's like, you're not invested whether this happened or that person said this or that kind of thing. Like, we need people that are outside but who are also seeking God. Um, in the Quaker tradition, by the way, there's a really interesting practice that Quakers have, um, they, they do this thing called the clearness committee, that when someone is, is in the middle of a decision or facing a decision, um, what happens is they will gather about like 10 people that they know that are trusted advisors, trusted mentors, and they'll gather in a room and they'll present the, the, the decision before them. And that person will just allow those people to kind of speak into that situation. And all they will do is listen. All they will do is listen. And the idea of the clearness is kind of like the snow globe idea. It's like allowing the, the snow to settle, allowing the consensus to form, allowing these trusted people who know you well, who will say yes and who will also say no, to help with that. See, the quality of our decisions will be proportional to the quality of our counselors, our godly counselors around us. So my question to you, do you have someone in your life that is like that? You have some ones, I'd say plural who are there for you, who will comfort you and encourage you, but will also challenge you. And to be God honest and say, I don't think that's really good for you. Or maybe now is not the time, Chris, like for you to do those things. That God speaks to us through trusted people that might have a little bit of a distance from the situation, but that is often how God speaks and it can help us figure those things out. So that's the third thing is, what do trusted godly people say? Um, but then the last is, what are the consequences? 
What are the consequences? If, if I make this decision, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? See, Jesus once gave this advice. And so he gave us advice, though, regarding stopping false teachers. But he said in Matthew 7, he says, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. You know, what, what, what does that mean? Well, you can judge a teacher by, by what happens after they teach. You can judge a prophet by what they predict or what they foretell. Does that actually come true? And I think the same is true when we're testing things of God, when we're testing those nudges, that, that we need to be able to look at the fruit not just what we think looks like things on the surface. You know, it's very easy to, you know, oh, I'm going to start a new job and it's going to be great. But look at that a little bit past those things. Um, it's easy to see things very glossy on the surface. It's just kind of like, you know, when I go to the grocery store and, and I love apples and I'm shopping for apples. Sometimes you see a, an apple that looks really, really great and it's shiny and it's bright. And then you go and you reach for the apple and you pick it up. And what do you notice? It's a squishy apple. A squishy apple. What's inside is squishy. It's not how apples are supposed to be, right? I don't, maybe you're making something, but it's probably rotten inside. It's probably, ro it's probably rotten fruit. It looks great on the outside, but there's, there's something not right. And, and I think that's important for us that when we need to figure out if, if something is good or God-led, to look under the surface, to ask the question beyond that moment, what will happen if I do that? You know, what will happen what will happen if I make that choice? Like even in your head, just imagine a couple weeks out after that decision, a couple months out, what will be the fruit of that? There's some examples that um, if you make a decision to it, just playing that with your head to say, okay, I'm going to decide to stay in an abusive relationship, what's going to be the fruit for my kids? You know, will they see that as normal? They're going to see that as normal. That's the fruit, the long-term fruit of when you're in an abusive relationship and kids are involved that they witness that and they begin and they live into that to say, okay, that's how a, a husband and wife interact and how that's how they treat. You know, that, that if you decide, say, to quit your job because somebody else got the promotion instead of you, what's going to be the fruit of that? Well, you'll be unemployed for the first part, right? But then is that really going to be a great way to, to exit? You know, maybe you just need to back off and process those feelings for a little while or talk to someone. Um, you know, that maybe you make a decision, you're praying about a decision that, hey, there's something wrong in your body. You're like, I need to go to the doctor and get this checked out. You really don't want to, but then you prayed about it, you feel direction. You know, somebody else has said, you probably need to go to the doctor. And so you're playing with that with your head. You're saying, okay, if I made that decision to go to the doctor, okay, they found something. Maybe they found something earlier. They found out, okay, that's not really a big deal. It's, it's something that's, that's very easy to treat. You know, what, what is the fruit of that? What is the fruit? What are the consequences of that decision? You know, have you thought about who that will impact? Have you thought about where that will leave your trajectory? Have you thought about, you know, what will happen? You know, if, if say, once again, there's somebody in the street and you decide to walk by and you find out, hey, you could have been there to save that person's life, right? That sometimes it's good to think about those things. What is the fruit? It's good sometimes, too, to ask somebody, maybe that's part of the people in your group that you go to, is somebody that's made a similar decision or been in a similar situation. What did they see? What did they sense from God? Um, there's a, some psychology points to this idea of try living with the decision for a week. Like before you make the decision, try living with it for a week. How would it impact your life in other ways? What would you do? What would you change? 
Um, there's, there's a, a quote by this, this um, sci-fi writer called Isaac Asimov, and he says, no sensible decision can be made any longer without taking into account not only the world as it is, but the world as it will be. What will be the consequences? What will the world be like? Will it be better or worse off? Will, will it lead into the, the joy of the Lord or will it lead into like, continued strife? You know, what will the outcome be making that decision? So, so just kind of drawing this together here is that first that idea that discernment is a process. It's a process. It's not something that we go about willy-nilly, but that it's important for us to use the sieve, to use it. When it comes to discernment, to not just be like the sponge and take everything in and everything's a sign from God and everything is pointing here. Like you go crazy if you do that. Not the funnel that, hey, you see something and poof, like you just kind of let it go. Or, or you take the, the strainer, you know, and then and you're, you're holding on to things maybe you shouldn't and then you're letting go not. But, but to rather to be the sieve, to allow those decisions to funnel and to, to shape and to go through. And so as we close, I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. Um, you know, I think signs usually point us in a direction, um, and, and sometimes it's not a, to the exact point of what we should do. Um, that sometimes, sometimes God gives us several choices to be faithful, several right answers, several directions that are all good. But on the flip side, I think some bad choices and voices that we may think are from God aren't actually but, but, but these questions can help us spot a selfish or bad or maybe just a not right now kind of decision or whether it's from God. And, and so what, what I tend to do is when I'm facing something and I'll kind of take these four and, and let, allow that, the prayer to percolate, to look to scripture, to talk to some trusted advisors, um, and to look at the long-term fruit from it. Um, usually if I run it through those four and I get a green light for all four, Usually for me, that's a sense of, okay, I can move forward with this. It's probably a direction, hey, I sense that God is, is leading. Um, if there's one or one and a half that I'm kind of like, ah, I'm not sure, then I'll just kind of sit with it a little bit longer. Maybe you talk to another person, take some more time in prayer. But, but if I run through this and I sense that there's like two to three no's or two to three like uneasy answers, like I'd advise you to be careful with that, that it might not be right. And once again, it may not be the right thing. It may be a wrong choice, but it may just be a not right now kind of choice. But, but as we listen and, and feel that nudge, allowing that process to become more deliberate, to allow God to speak in us and through us and around us, through others as well, to make sure that a sign is really from God and not just from us. And so um, just kind of drawing us to a close as we head to the table this morning. Um, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of uh, summing up that to this time with a, with a special prayer. Um, and the prayer, I think, that kind of relates to this discernment process is one you may be familiar with, even just kind of the first part. It's called the Serenity Prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. And Niebuhr was a theologian um, in the 1930s or so. And this prayer that he wrote, it was actually made popular when it was publicized in the, um, by the YMCA of the time and then eventually adopted by some recovery groups and whatnot. But I think it really speaks to us and as we're facing a decision, seeking signs from God, being able to test the spirits and allow for his guidance. So um, it's printed in your notes too, but I just ask you to close your eyes and, um, and so we're going we're gonna to pray as we head to the table this morning. God, 
Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.